morning in Matthew 25, and we're going to be beginning in verse number one. And one of the things that I see in the world today is so many people are beginning to be moved by the prophetic things. So many people are beginning to get caught up in the things going on all over the world and even here at home. But I want you to know God is not wringing his hands. He's not watching the clock. He's not, he's not worried about what's going on. God is in control. He's sovereign. He's patient. He's full of peace. And I want you to know that God has a plan for what's going on in the world. Amen. God has a plan for what's going on in the world. And one of the things that we know is going to happen is that Jesus is going to come back. We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God, amen, and are called according to his purpose. We know that. We know that all things can work together for our good. How many of you have lived life so long you know there were times in your life it felt like everything was against you? It felt like everything was against you. Sometimes you get into that place and you say, what else can go wrong? How many more? I can't, I can't take much more of this. But you know, the Bible tells us in those comforting words the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, all things work together for our good. We may not know why things are going on the way that they are, but we know that God can work them for our good. I just think back of Joseph and in his life, he was sold into slavery, into Egypt. Listen, it's one thing to be sold into slavery. It's another thing to be sold into slavery by your family. That's bad. And, and And the sad thing is, is that Joseph maintained his integrity and his love for God every step of the way, all the way down to the bottom of the pit, all the way down to that jail cell. When he would not touch Potiphar's wife, he maintained his integrity and his love for God all the way down. And how many of you know that as you're going down, as the, cir- as the circumstances and situations begin to align against you, the devil's whispering in your ear, see, you shouldn't have done that. You should have have done this it's you know you're you're wasting your time and the whole time he was going down there all the way to that jail cell forsaken by his family forsaken by his family and all the way he goes down there he maintains his integrity and his love for God can I tell you something God turned that thing around God turned that thing around. He became second in command to Pharaoh. God turned all that around and can I tell you something I don't know what your situation is but God's going to turn it around God's going to turn around and you, you may not see it in your lifetime, but I promise you this, when you, when your eyes open and you're in heaven, God will have turned it around. God will have, God will have brought all that that was coming against you for your good because he kept you where you needed to be. You know, sometimes that's the way affliction is in our life. Sometimes affliction is that way. It, we, none of us like affliction and I know none of my kids like, you know, being in trouble. But the reason that we, the reason that we help our kids in guiding in their behavior is because we want them to walk straighter. We want them to be responsible. We want them to live right before God. Amen? In, in, the, in the same way, sometimes affliction comes on us and God uses us, God uses us and he uses that affliction and he does this beautiful thing where he gets us back on that straight and narrow path. I'll just say it like this. Sometimes those afflictions refine our focus. Sometimes those afflictions, they take our eyes off of how big our TV is and how big our God is. 
It takes our eyes off of how, how big our car is or how big our house is or how many clothes we have, and it gets us back to thinking about how big our God is. It gets us back to thinking about how merciful our God is and how graceful our God is and how God is so willing to receive you that he would do the unthinkable, that he would come down to this earth and he would go up on that cross and he would shed holy blood so that you could be reconciled to himself, knowing and understanding without that blood atonement, we're stuck in our sin. Even if all you did was tell one lie, or even if all you did was have one bad thought, that is so defiling against an unholy God that only the blood of Jesus could reunite you to God. And so this gospel is so profound and so deep, but it is about God getting us back where we need to be. How many of you know that there's times in our life that we think that we've got it all together, and then affliction comes, and it refines our focus? Amen? It refines us. It sharpens us. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. You know why iron needs to be sharpened? Because if we're just left off in a tool shed somewhere, we get dull, we get rusty, we get worn out, we, we, you know, you oxidize, you get weak. But as iron sharpens iron, what happens is you begin to keep one another strong in the Lord. You begin to keep one another strong in the faith. Well, affliction works the same way. See, Peter said it this way. Peter said that affliction is the trial of your faith. It's more precious than gold. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold. Now, how many of y'all like being tried? Nobody likes being tried. But the beautiful thing is, is that God uses that. It's not for not. Can I tell you that? It's not for nothing. It's not just happenstance. It's not for not, but God uses it to sharpen you. God uses it to refine you. And I want to tell you that there's things that have gone on in your life. There's things that you've been through that God, how many of you know this? You can testify. Like the, that there's a uh, saying, you know, the steps of the sand. You know, there was those steps, God was walking beside you, and then all of a sudden there was only one set of footprints, and you thought, where did God go? And God said, those were my footprints. I was carrying you through that time. Amen. And there's times that we need to have our focus refined. We need God to sharpen our eyesight so we can see things the way that God sees things. Amen. Well, in, in, this, in, in that vein of thought, I just want you to see this, that affliction and, and sometimes the trying of our faith, God uses it to get us back where we need to be. That's the most important thing. Can I tell you that? The most important thing that we can that we can do is to walk on that straight and narrow path. Jesus said that, 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 that his way is a narrow way. Amen? He said, few find it. His way is a narrow way. It's not broad. If you look at what's going on in the world today and you look in the church at large today, it is a broad gate. It's a wide tent. But Jesus said it's a narrow, it's a narrow thing. It's a narrow thing. There's repentance that has to take place in our lives. There's, there's a walk that God has called us to, and that walk is a holy walk. It is to live upright before him all of our days, to seek him, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to, and to go after him, right? So let's look here in, in Matthew 25, beginning in verse number one. This is the thing. This is a parable that Jesus talked about, about the end times. How many of you know that there's a lot of people that talk about the end times? If you look at the Christian bestsellers, a lot of them are about prophecy, a lot of them about end times. I think the, the number one bestseller in the 80s was 88 Reasons. Uh, the rapture is going to take place in 1988. And they had to make an adjustment in 89. 
and then in 90. And now you can find it on eBay for over $100 because it's a collectible item. The, the reality is, is that people have been talking about the return of Jesus and the rapture ever since he ascended up to heaven. But the fact is, he's coming back. We don't know when, but we know he's coming back. And the question is, are you ready? That's the question. Are you ready? So let's go ahead and take, and, and this is how the Lord kind of set this up. In verse number one of chapter 25, Jesus said, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Many of you know what a virgin in the Bible is, is representative of. How many of you know what a, a virgin in the Bible is representative of a child of God? You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't characterize, and I will say this, it doesn't say there's, the, the, the virgins are girls. It says there's just ten virgins, okay? So notice this, though, that there's ten virgins, and most of the time that you read the, uh, the word virgin is prophetic or symbolic of, of what? Of Christians, of the church. So there are ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish, and they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. That's the return of the Lord. I'll tell you that that's going to happen. There's going to be a day that that cry goes out that the Lord is here. There will be a trumpet that sounds from heaven. The sky will be rolled back as a scroll, as it says in Isaiah. And the Lord shall descend, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And all of us which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. And so shall we meet the Lord in the air, and we'll be with him forever. That day's coming. We don't know when, but it's coming. And in the charge to these ten virgins were to be ready to have oil in the lamp, and to be ready. Now, there were five that were wise that kept the oil in the lamp. How many of you know that that is a wise thing to do, right? It is a wise thing to do. But what would oil be representative of or symbolic of in this scripture? The oil would be representative of that anointing on your life, of the Holy Ghost, of being pure, of being a a vessel that God can use. It would be representative of the fact that there's no un, un there's no unclean thing in you, there's no leaven in you, there's no known sin in you, there's no unrepentance there. But you are a holy vessel given to God that He can flow through, that He can fill up, that He can use in that day and in that time. That that oil always represents the anointing of God or the holiness of God. And if you have likewise five virgins that they didn't have any oil in their lamp, it would represent people that were careless, people that were unaware, that were, that were not caring about what was going on in the world or what was going on between them and God. Now, I want to tell you this. God will pour the oil in, but you've got to open your heart up. God will not force you to be full of the Holy Spirit. God will not force you to live holy. God will not force you to love him. God will not force you to come after him. He compels you by the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 12, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He said that if he would be lifted up, he would draw you. And the Holy Spirit is always drawing the church to God. Always drawing but he doesn't force us. How many of you know if God wanted to, he could force us. He could make us robots. He could make us, you know, eat grass like he did one of the kings in the Old Testament. He could make us lay down on the grass and, 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 and make us have all kinds of, of, of weird activity. He could make us do anything, but God chooses to invite us to come.
Why? Because it's about relationship. It's about relationship. It is about God's, God's call upon you to receive his love. And God invites you. God invites you. He invites every person. God invites all. God is, is not willing that any perish. But the, in, in John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world that he gave. Amen? How many of you know that the world is antagonistic to God? The world is against God. The world hates God. And the world is full of sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That if they would just believe on him, right, they wouldn't perish, but they would be saved. In Romans chapter 5, God says it like this. He said that God commends or shows his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... While we were yet antagonistic to God, while we yet walked away from God, while we yet uh, didn't think great things about God, and we just gave God an afterthought, a bythought, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that God made a way for us to get right with him even when we were in rebellion to him. God so desired you to get right with him, he made a way for you to come back before you even said, I think I might want to come back. God had already made a way back for you. God, God made that way back for you before you f- raised the first eyebrow, the first thought, the first inclination about coming back home. God already made the way for you. That was the cross. How many of you know God made the way for you at the cross? There, God's not waiting on you to, to, you know, get all hamstrung. God's waiting on you to trust the cross. To believe what Jesus did at the cross makes you right in God's eyes. It's not about our works making us right in God's eyes. It's about his work on the cross making us right with God. And us trusting that and then growing from that. It's, and see, that's the thing. It is, it is about that cross, but it is about God doing a work in us. It is about God doing a work in us. So here you see clearly that there are five wise and five foolish, and you've probably heard this story before, but I'm, I'm just going to bring it, bring at it from a, a different area. Because the reality is, is that the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is Jesus. He's coming. The bridegroom is Jesus. He's coming. If he came today, would we be ready? That's the thing. If he came today, would our would our lamps be full of oil? And would we be ready to receive him? Would we be ready to meet him? Or are there hindrances in our lamp? Are there things in our lamp? And I, I, as I was praying over this message, one of the things that I thought of was this. I thought, you know, if, if they didn't have oil in their lamp, they must have had dust. They must have had dirt in there. They must have had bugs in there. They must have had, you know, some different things collecting. How many of you know if you get a, a little bowl set out over time, there's going to be things that collect in it? And there's times in our walk with God whenever we're not on fire with God and we're not walking with God and we're not loving on God and we're not receiving his love for us that there's those things that kind of get in the lamp. There's those, those hindrances that get in there and, and those things have to be taken out. We have to, we have to come to the Lord and we have to, we have to repent and get those things taken out of the way and then put the oil back in the lamp. Well, one of the things that we see is that in a lot of our lives, uh, from time to time, you, you, you may be uh, going and you may feel dry, you may feel weary, you may feel worn out. And I want you to know that God's desire is that there's oil in your lamp. Amen? Um, turn, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to touch on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to talk about 11 here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5... M- 
there was an issue in this church. I want to just say that again. There was an issue in the church. This was not an issue in the world. There was an issue in the church. And, and Paul was addressing it because there were undoubtedly, there were Christians here that had no oil in their lamp. There were Christians here that instead of oil, they had leaven in the lamp. They had, they had a contaminant in the lamp. They didn't have the oil of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a cleanliness there. They had an, an impediment there. Well, in this particular scenario, there was a, a, a sexual sin that had gone on in the church. And here's the thing. The church didn't do anything about it. It's one thing for things to happen. It's another thing for it to go unaddressed. Can I tell you that? There's times that things happen. I mean, we, we all live in a body that is still capable of sin. So there's, there's times that things happen. But the danger is when we leave the thing that happened unaddressed. And I want you to know that we can't do that in this day and time. We can't do that because we don't, we know not the day that God's coming back. We know not the day that that hour is going to dawn. And our, our, our vessels need to be full of the, of the oil of the Holy Spirit. So here, like I said, there was this sexual sin that went on, um, and Paul is addressing it, and it's not fun to address those kinds of things. I don't know any minister that really loves to address those kinds of things, but you have to if you're going to walk right before God. And so Paul is addressing this issue, and notice what he says here. We'll, we'll begin in verse, um, let's, let's begin in verse number four. Paul said this, he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What he's simply saying there is that this issue needs to be dealt with um, because there's a soul at stake. And you you may say, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to think that I'm holier than thou. I don't want them to think that I'm a, I'm a holy roller. I'm a fuddy duddy. But what Paul was saying is you, you may hurt the flesh by, by confronting the issue and, and you want to, you want to do it tactfully. You want to do it with the grace of the Lord, but it needs to be dealt with. And he, and he was saying, you know, the, the enemy's a liar because the enemy will say, well, I don't want to hurt their feeling. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt their flesh. I don't want to drive them away because how many even know? Well, you preach a message like this, you're not going to fill up the, you know, the, the concert hall. You know, nobody wants to deal with sin. Nobody wants to talk about sin. Well, everybody wants to have, you know, uh, you know what, what movie can we talk about in church? And, you know, what movie clips can we play in our message? And, and what kind of props can we put on the platform? And, um, but the reality is what's going to keep us right, what's going to keep us right is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that oil in our lamp. And we need to be full of that oil in our lamp. So here's the thing. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to come to the flesh and, and hurt somebody's feeling or something like that. But Paul, what Paul made an awesome comment, he said it's the soul. You see, you, you, may, you may hurt a feeling, you may hurt the flesh feeling, but there's a soul, there's a spirit there that God desires to save. It's not that God wants to just cast that all the way out, but you may have to say, you know what, brother, I think that you're wrong on this issue because God says this and this, and you're doing this and this, and I just want you to be aware. Let's pray about that, and it may hurt somebody's. I don't know anybody that loves to get corrected. I don't know anybody that loves to get rebuked. I don't know anybody that loves that word of correction. But, but what Paul was saying is this has to happen because there's a soul at stake. 
if we leave this person in that sin and we leave them in that condition, dangerous and bad things can happen. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to be mindful of the fact that God's called us sometimes to speak that word in love, in due season, but in, 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 in the desire to have them reconciled to God. And that was the whole thing. But, so, but notice, here's the, the, the bigger thing, too. Not only is there a soul at stake, so here, here I want you to catch this, because nobody wanted to confront this, this guy about his sexual sin. Right? Nobody wanted to confront the guy because, well, what if he's a big, what if he's a big money giver? What if, what if he's a big money giver? What if he's the one that put his name on all the pews? He bought all these pews. He's got a name on all of them. I mean, we, if we make him mad, he's going to take all his pews home. Where are we going to sit, Pastor? You know, these, these thoughts happen in churches. And what happened was everybody began to turn a blind eye to what this guy was doing. Everybody knew it was wrong, but nobody said a word about it. Can I tell you what? There's a word for that. It's called compromise. Everybody knew it was wrong, but nobody said a word about it. That's called compromise. And this church was compromised. They never said a word about what they knew was wrong. And I've seen this happen before. I've shared this story, but I mean, I won't go into details, but uh, I've seen this happen where a, a, a minister uh, begins to take the, the piano player who was married and makes her leave her husband and takes her to be his wife. And then they, all they do is they move across the street to another church, and nobody knows any different. This, these kind of things happen because nobody has the boldness to speak against it. But here's, I want you to see this, though. The, the thing that Paul was doing is he was highlighting the fact that the church didn't handle the business. He says in verse 6, your glorying is not good. They thought they were doing good because they had money coming in and they had nice pews. This guy, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, theorizing, but maybe he was a big giver. Maybe he was a prominent person. Maybe he was, you know, on the, on the city council of the, of the uh, you know, maybe he was a highfaluter, and they wanted him in church. But they dare not say what needed to be said. And Paul said, your glorying's not good. Why? Why, church? Look at the next part. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I tell you this, compromise spreads. Compromise spreads. You, you may think that you're only going to give in on this one thing, but it'll begin to eat away. It'll begin to eat away. It's like arsenic. It's like poison. You could say, oh, I'm just going to drink this one. It's just one little bit of it, but it'll begin to permeate through your whole body. It'll begin to poison the whole body. And you see, that's how compromise is. That's how sin is. You, you may think that it's little, and that's all the devil wants you to do is think that it's little. But what it does is it'll begin to infect the whole thing. Paul likens it to leaven, leavening the whole lump. Commentary said this about leaven. He said that leaven actually overtakes what it's in. Leaven actually overtakes what it is. It, it ferments the dough. It overtakes it. There's no, when you put just a little bit of leaven in that dough, it actually permeates through the whole thing. There's not one piece of dough that is unfermented by that leaven. Even though it's just a little speck, just a few sprinkles, just a little bit, it actually permeated through the whole entire thing. And that can happen in a church. And listen, that can happen in us. There may be some areas in our life where we've allowed compromise, this, that, or the other. Things that we know are wrong, 
Things that we know are wrong. One of my favorite stories, one of the guys that led to the Lord, um, he was he just got out of prison. Um, he was, you know, in a bad situation. And I'll never forget this. Because uh, one of the things that you do when you lead someone to the Lord is you don't want to give them a, the laundry list. You want to lead them to the Lord and let the Lord lead them. Right? But I remember, and this guy, he got saved, and I mean, he was gloriously filled with the Spirit. He began to get hungry for God, and then he looked at me, and he said, well, what do I do next? And I said, well, what do you think God's telling you to do next? And he said, well, I don't know anything else to do, but I do know it, um, God's, not, God's not happy with me living with my girlfriend. And I said, well, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Uh, that, that is sin. And you know what this guy did? He went home that day, and he, he took his girlfriend, and he... And he moved her over to her mom's house until he got everything out of the way so they could get married at the justice of the peace. And then he moved her back in. But you know, what, the reason I'm telling you that is because this guy didn't know everything. He didn't know things about doctrine. He didn't know, he didn't know systematic theology. He didn't know, you know, the rapture from the second coming. He didn't know, you know, any of those things, but he knew there was one particular thing that God wasn't pleased with, that God wasn't happy with. And instead of compromising on it, he wanted to deal with it because he wanted to stay right with God. And that's what I want you to see is you may not be able to hit everything and you may have 99 problems, right? You may have 99, but what we need to do is just be open with the Lord and allow the Lord to touch the issue at hand. Whatever that issue is, say, Lord, open my eyes to see whatever hindrance there is. As Sister Pat said on a Wednesday night Bible study she taught one time, if there's a flaw in the flow, Lord, show me. If there's a flaw in the flow between me and you, show me where that issue is so that I can get it out, so that we can deal with it, so that we can take it to the cross, so that we can find forgiveness. But we want to make sure that we have that flow of the Holy Spirit going through our life. Amen? And so undoubtedly, when Paul was likening what they were doing to leaven, it hit. Here's a couple of things I want you to see. Sin allowed and undealt with will spread. The devil's a liar. Sin allowed and undealt with will spread. The devil's a liar. It will begin to contaminate the whole lump. Whatever it is in our life that we're um, compromised on, it, it, it will begin to, um, to, to overtake the whole thing. One of the, one of the biggest losses in the nation of Israel was against the littlest city. It was right after Joshua led the, the nation of Israel to battle against Jericho. There was a big battle, impenetrable walls, Rahab the scar, the, you know, she let down that scarlet thread. All of these things happened, and then the very next battle was against a little bitty town called Ai. In that little bitty town, Ai gave them one of the largest defeats they ever faced. You know why? Because after this great big battle, after this great big victory in Jericho, one of the guys in Israel, one of the guys in the camp brought an idol into the camp. He brought a false God in. How many of you know God's not cool with that? God's not, God's not good with us having idols, whatever they may be. You know, some of us have this, that, or the other, but God wasn't good with it. And, and this guy, he took that idol and he actually buried it in his tent under a chest and he had it all hidden. He had it all tucked away. Nobody knew, but God knew. Nobody knew, but God knew. And can I tell you this? You may, be, you may be able to hide compromise from others. You may be able to hide issues from others, but you can't hide it from God. You can't hide it from God. I can't hide anything from God. 
I can't hide anything from God. And, and this guy, um, his name was Achan, and what he did is he had this idol in, in, in the whole nation lost. They had their biggest loss because there was sin in the camp. And they had to go through and find out where this idol was and deal with it. But how many of you know they would have never won another battle until they dealt with that sin? They lost the biggest battle against the smallest enemy because there was sin in the camp, because there was compromise in the believers. And, and you know, this church, their sin was that they were tolerating. They were tolerating this. Uh, John Wesley, one of my favorite commentators, one of the best you know, men of the Bible that preached, he said that, that, that leaven um, is actually what it does is it, it diffuses. How many of you know what those oil diffusers are? Those oil diffusers people have, and they, 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 they make an aroma in the house. And he said sin is a diffuser. It diffuses. It, it doesn't stay isolated in one area. Come on, you may say, well, this, my little sin thing, it's just, you know, it's just that one thing. But sin is never just one thing in an isolated area. It actually diffuses, and it begins to weaken the whole. It begins to impede the whole. It begins to take us to a place where we don't expect for God's goodness in our life anymore. We don't expect for God's goodness in our life because we have that issue. It'll keep you back from the, the holiness that God has for you. Even the littlest thing, you know, the, the, and, and one of the things that the enemy loves to do is try to drive a wedge between you and God. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to move that, remove that wedge so that there's no impediment between you and God, so that there's no impeding. Um, one of my favorite uh, ministers, he said this, he, about this, he said um, his desire, he was a, a revivalist preacher, but he said his desire is that we would be given over to a clean work rather than a large work. Get that. He said he would rather his churches have a clean work in them than a large work in them. And I can tell you, I believe that that is exactly what God wants. God would rather have a remnant that is holy and pure. He would rather have a bride that is pure. He would rather have five virgins that have their lamps full of oil than have ten with half in and half out. And you can see that from the story that we read just then. So what is it about this this compromise that I want to touch on. Well, there's there's a few different things I want to I want to touch in on this. Um, when 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 we allow compromise, what we're doing is we're lowering the standard of God. We're saying God's okay with that. When we're compromising or we're in sin, what we're doing is we're lowering the standard of God. We're we're telling everyone and we're trying to convince ourselves God's okay with that. And there's, there's three areas I want to deal with on that. Number one is when we allow things that we know are wrong. When you allow things that you know are wrong. Now, some of us, um, this is going to hit different ways. I'm just going to go with the way that the Lord gave me this, so just bear with me. Uh, but there are, there are things in our life that we know are wrong, but that we do. Um, and, and some of you may not even see it this way, but, but um, sometimes you, how many of you know, not a lot of folks that go to church would just, go out, get drunk, party, sleep around, do all kinds of sexual promiscuity. We wouldn't do that, but we watch it on TV. And I want to just tell you that there's, there's things that we must guard in our life, and the Bible says that our hearts must be guarded. Can I tell you that? Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart with all diligence, because out of this are the issues of life. You're, you, one of the jobs that God gives you and gives me is to guard this, this heart. 
You know, one of Adam's jobs that he didn't do was to tend the garden. Can I, I don't know about you, but I've tended a garden before, and every time I saw a snake, I killed it. <clears throat> Adam was given a job, tend the garden, but there was a snake in there. See, I would have taken the hoe and got his head off. I don't know what, where we would be if Adam would have done that, but I can tell you that he wasn't tending the garden because Eve was left alone with the serpent. And if he would have been on the ball and doing what he was supposed to do, he would have been right there telling her, that guy's a liar. That guy's a liar. God is the truth. But he wasn't tending the garden. And, and you know, a lot of times in our life, we, we allow things in because we're not tending the garden. We're allowing things into our heart. We're allowing things into our mind. And what it does is not good things. Let me, come on. If you, if all you put into your heart are people cheating on other people, people getting drunk, people getting, you know, sexual, you know, innuendo in movies and things like this, what's going to happen is you're going to begin to think that way about everybody. You're going to begin to look at the world through, through a lens of ungodliness rather than a lens of God seeking to save the world. If you begin to allow those things into your heart, it will begin to manifest and you'll, be, you'll begin to see things the way God doesn't want you to see things. How many of you know the Bible is supposed to be the light? You're supposed to look at things through this. It's a light from my path, right? A lamp from my feet and a light from my path. And that gives me the ability to see the way God wants me to see. God wants me to see that there are people that are lost going to hell and they need the gospel. They don't need a three-point sermon about how to get a better life. They, they, don't, need a, 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 you know, they don't need a pizza party. They need the gospel. They need to know that, that there's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what He did at the cross. And God love you so much, He doesn't want you to go through life impotent and powerless, but He'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit if you'll seek His face. He will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you so that you can do what no one else can do, and that is to live upright before God all the days of your life so that you can be a holy witness in an unholy generation. Why does God give us the Holy Spirit so that we can live a holy life in an unholy world? Why does He give us the Holy Spirit so that you can be salt and light in a world that is corrupt and dark? Why does He give us the Holy Spirit so that you'll have courage in a world that is trying to throw rocks at every believer that stands up and stands out? So that you'll have courage in the face of fear. So that you'll have bravery in the face whenever the enemy seeks to cause doubt. So that you will live a life pleasing to God. I tell you this, Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Why? To be my witness. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit so that you can testify, so that you can glorify the Lord, so that you can magnify God, so that he'll be magnified in you in this generation. It's D.O. Moody said, this world's not going to read the Bible, but they will read you. They will read you if you name the name of God. Now, don't be a hidden Christian. Don't be a Christian in the closet. They will read you. And if the world reads you, can they see Jesus? Or will they see compromise? What will they see? What will they see? One of the other ways that we, we, we do things that we know are wrong is when we go back to our old life. God saved you out of something, don't go back. If God saved you out of partying or God saved you out of drunkenness or God saved you out of pornography, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't trample the grace of God. Don't trample the grace of God. 
God, God calls you out of those things. And a lot of times, listen, the, 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 the walk that we have in this world is war. God gave us an armor. God gave us the armor of God so that we can fight a good fight of faith. And I want to tell you, it is a fight from now to the day you get to go home. There's never going to be a day that you don't fight. As John Bunyan said, the, the, the devil's sword is drawn all the way up to the pearly gate. And you, you know, you may go through seasons in, in life where it's not as bad as it once was, but that just means that the devil's doing a hidden work under the surface, waiting for your unguarded hours, waiting for that armor to come down, waiting for your un, you know, waiting till you're not prayed up, prayed through. Waiting until there's a little compromise to move in and then to sow doubt so that he can bring you back to where God brought you out of. There's always opportunities to go back, never go back. Keep going forward in God. And, and, and the devil's a liar. Our, our, you know, look, at, here's another one. Working with compromise. And this goes twofold, but there, there is a, a, a time that this happens. You know, if, if God delivered you out of something... Like I said, you don't go back to it, but you also don't play with it either. For example, if God delivered you from pornography, from an addiction of pornography, don't go and sell X-rated movies on the side. Well, I can make a lot of money, and then I can give money to the church. Look, if God brought you out of it, and you know it's sin, don't involve yourself in it. Or if if God, like me, God delivered me from being a drunk. I came to the cross, God set me free. But you know what? I'm not going to go work in a liquor store. Even though I have, the, I, have the, I have that, you know, that chain has been broken. God set me free. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to go tempt the Lord. And I'm not going to go defame his name and help other people sin in a lifestyle that God saved me from. Right, you see what I'm saying? If God saved me from that lifestyle, I don't need to be a partaker of it. And I don't need to help others in that lifestyle. You might say, well, that's a good, it's a good job. It makes good money. Well, God pays better. Yes, he does. Amen? God pays better. The, the paycheck may not reflect it, but he always provides. He always makes a way for his children. So sometimes you've got to take a bold stance, and you may say, well, all I know is bartending. But if God saved you from being a drunk, don't sell alcohol to people. God saved you from something that's destroying lives. Don't help them destroy their own lives. You may say, well, you know, what's another way of doing this? Another way of working with compromise happens in churches. It happens in churches, and, you know, it goes to church leadership. But a lot of times people will, you know, if you want good music, you go and get musicians out of the bar. And you go get these musicians out of the bar, and you allow them on the platform so that there's good-sounding music. But can I tell you something? I would rather have anointed music than good-sounding music. There's a difference. If we got to go acapella, we'll go acapella. It, you know, it, it, we'll do what we got to do to maintain that anointing of God. But there are times, and I've seen this happen in churches, where people will bring in um, un, ungodly people to, to, to do ministry things. This person's not a Christian, but they're good with youth. We'll put them in as a youth pastor. What are they going to teach the kids? This happens all the time. Whether it's music or whether it's youth pastoring or, or even in relationships. Um, but it happens in ministry. It also, like I said, people will begin to, to go back to things that God brought them out of. Another thing that I want to just share with you, uh, this is the last one on this point, is relationships. 
you see where it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump? I want to tell you about relationships, some advice my mom gave me. One bad apple spoils the bunch. Amen? How many of you, your mama told you that? One bad apple spoils the bunch. Can I tell you, if you've got ungodly friends, they're going to influence you in ungodly ways. Is Now, you'll, as you see in the rest of this passage, Paul is saying, look, you, you can't get away from ungodly people all the way because you'd have to get out of the world. And one of the things we've got to do is make sure that we're bringing light to those in darkness. But what we're talking about is relationships. Relationships. And if you've got ungodly relationships, they are undoubtedly bringing ungodliness into your life. Because that's the way that relationships work. If, if, if you have um, compromise in, in relationships, I'll tell you this. They will influence you. Friends, friends will influence you. Very rarely will somebody date an unbeliever and cause them to be a believer. That's called mission dating. Very rarely does that happen. But I, I, have, seen, I have seen ladies whose, whose husbands were not right with God pray their husbands into the kingdom. It took years, took a lot of faith, took a lot of tears, but I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen it happen. Um, but it, it, it can happen. But um, part I want you to see on this is friends will influence you. Friends will influence you. And, and, they, and you may not even think that they're influencing you to go, you know, worship the devil. But here's the thing. They will, they will influence you to love pleasure more than to love God. They will influence you to, to skip church and go to the water park. They will influence you to, to, to skip Wednesday night and go, you know, watch a movie at the park. They'll influence you to do different things to love pleasure more than to love God. And so it, it may not be this big outward sin that they're influencing you on, but it's just those little things, whereas if you have godly people around you, they'll influence you to love God. They'll influence you to share your faith. They'll influence you to pray. They'll influence you to fast. They'll influence you to study the Word. They'll influence you to do the things that God wants us to do. Amen? So compromise will never walk in victory. Compromise will never walk in victory. You know, uh, the sad reality is there's a lot, of, a lot of dads, a lot of dads, and a lot of moms too. But the reason why our families go through so much turmoil and so much defeat is because we have compromise in our walk. If you look back at, the, as, I, as I described to you about Achan and, and how his sin caused the whole nation to lose the battle, it could be said that there's a lot of times that our families go through so much because we're so compromised. Compromise will never gain victory. Now, I'm not talking about hardship. I'm talking about victory. Compromise will never maintain victory. It, it, it lowers the bar uh, that God has set for us. Instead of seeking after souls, instead of seeking after souls, we're just getting by. We're just getting by. See, our, our calling in this world is to seek after souls. If God, look, if God wanted you to bring you home right now, He could. As you breathe out right now, he could not allow the breath to come back in, and you'd be there. But the reason God has you here is not just to sit on a church pew. We're not here just to build a church building. We're not here so that we can grow our camp. We're not here so that we can say, look at our church. We're not here for that. We're not here to find out who wins the next election. We're not here to gain money. If God left you here, there's one reason. 
It's so that you'll go out into the world and preach His gospel. If you're here, it's because God is sending you out as an, as a, as an emissary to preach the gospel to somebody around you. And sad reality is a lot of people never shared the gospel with one person. One person. And, I, you know, you, if you read these old-time old gospel preachers, one of my favorites is D.L. Moody. One of, my, one of my first recommendations to somebody as you begin to really pursue after God is don't read anybody that's still alive. Make sure they've been, you know, dead and gone on to glory for about 100 years. There's pretty good stuff then. But the reality is D.L. Moody, he, he would challenge people. He said, pray, pray that you'll be able to lead somebody to the Lord once a week. And then once you get them to once a week, pray for two a week. And then once you get to two a week, pray for five a week. And then once you get to leading five souls to the Lord a week, go for one a day. Go for one a day. And, you know, that's a godly goal. That's why we're here. John Wesley quoted him earlier. He said, you have one business on earth to save souls. And you know what, by and large, the one business that the church doesn't do is evangelism. And that's the, one, that's the one thing we've got. That's the one thing we've been given. But because we've lowered the bar, we've allowed sin in the camp, we've lowered the bar, what we're doing is we're, we're managing. We're managing. We're keeping people busy. We're keeping the music, we're keeping the music good. The, the preacher got to have the tie on. We're keeping every, or, well, today it's not that way. Today it's the preacher got to have the skinny jeans and the mohawk, 50 years old mohawk. And we got to have all that today. But we've got to have all that down. We've got to have all that down, but we're, we're neglecting the one work that God gave us to do, which is souls. And I'm here to tell you that when you get, when you get this right and you begin to get oil in your lamp, that oil is going to reach out for souls. God's going to give you the Holy Spirit more than you can handle, but it's not just so that you'll do backflips right here in this sanctuary, which we welcome. You can do it all day long. You can hop pews if you want, but God, God gives you the Holy Spirit. He puts oil in the lamp so that you'll overflow to the world, so that the world can know that there's still a God out there, that He loves them, that He's called them by their name, that He's called them to repent, forsake their sins, and come home to the cross and be saved. This is our, our, our one mission. Our one mission. It, we, we are not, the church has been built on the last decades for building programs, food programs, Sunday school programs. We've programmed ourselves into the dirt, and now we see the result of it. But there's a call going out in the church world today. God is raising up a righteous remnant that are hungry for more than what is out there today. God is raising up a remnant that knows the clock is about to strike midnight. The bridegroom's about to come. We need to make sure there's oil in our lamp. And that oil, what I'm telling you, is that oil will reach out into the darkness so that others can be saved that's that is the reason i just want you to see this in matthew 25 there must be oil in the lamp the oil is the holy spirit why did jesus say he was going to give us the holy spirit so that you'll be a witness so that you will be a witness. Some of us, we can be a witness by the way that we handle a situation, by the things that we say no to, can speak louder than maybe even a preacher can. When You, you know, there was a time in my life when I had to say no to some old friends. 
Right after I got saved, there was some friends I had to say no to. I can't do that no more. And you know, that spoke more than any sermon because it, it hit home with them. They saw that it wasn't just a, 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 a thing up here in my head. It wasn't some systematic category, catalog of theology, dictionary that I had up here. It actually hit down here. And it actually began to cause me to say no to things. And that, that no actually preached more than a lot of sermons will. And there's times in our life that when we really have that oil in our lamp and we say no to things that we once did, it will preach and it will be a witness to those that once knew us in a different way. So instead of souls, what is the church after today? The church is after weekend movie marathons, sermon series about nothing. Love song sermon series, movie summer sermon series. What is it that is wrong with the church when our call is to go after souls, not to entertain? We've become nothing but an entertainment center, serving up food on weekdays and, 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 and helping people to get by. When the thing that we've called, God's called us to do is to help people get to the cross. And what helps them to get to the cross is going to save their soul. What helps them get to Jesus is going to save their soul. God has called us to preach the gospel. You see, Paul says it this way. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God and the salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's only one way that people can get saved, and that's through the, the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. People can't get saved because you you give them a bear hug. People can't get saved because you give them a DVD. People can't get saved because you, you know, you did. But people get saved when you preach the gospel, when you preach the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's our calling in life. That's our calling. A couple of things I want to touch on before we, before we close out. Um, let's go over to, to, to 1 John chapter 1. It's a popular verse. For the right reasons. First John chapter 1. I want you to see something here. When, when, when we're talking about leaven, and when Paul was describing that a little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, can I tell you that that means that it's gone past our ability to fix it? How many of you have been in a situation where you, you, maybe you, you stained something and it went past your ability to fix it? Are you, you, you know, I remember I've uh, wrecked a car before. It, it went past my ability to fix it. And if duct tape can't fix it, I can't fix it. I mean, it's, it goes past me when it goes to duct tape. Um, but, but the reality is, is that when we, when we allow compromise in, that leaven leavens the whole lump, it goes past our ability to fix it. Compromise goes past your ability to fix it. You've got to come to the Lord. The Lord's not asking you, to, to, to do it. The Lord's not asking you to do it. He's asking you to give it. He's asking you to surrender it. He's asking you to, to come open-handed to Him. Open-handed to Him. So, you know, there's an old, old hymn people sing at the altar. I surrender all. And that's what we're talking about. In order for us to have compromise removed out of our life, we've got to surrender all to God. That's it. Notice what he says here in 1 John 1, verse number 6. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, 
That's talking about God. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now that's a hard hitter. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What cleanses us? The blood of Jesus. If you're willing to come out of the darkness and walk in the light that God gives you, come to the cross, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. God will wipe away every sinful stain. As Isaiah says, though our sins were scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. God has the ability to cleanse you. If you'll come to him and surrender to him, God will remove every guilty stain. That's what God does. He's in the stain-lifting business. He's in the burden-lifting business. He's in the chain-breaking business. He's also in the mountain-moving business. You might not know that God was in business, but he hadn't retired. He's still in business. He still lifts the sin stain. He still lifts burdens. He still moves mountains. He still does great and amazing things, even in our generation. And if you'll come to him, he'll do it for you. It says in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But verse number 9 If we confess our sins, many of you know what it means to confess something. You can't confess what's not true. If I confess to you that I'm a unicorn, guess what? I didn't confess, I lied. A confession has to be true. And and when the Bible says here, if we confess our sins, this is what I want you to see. The the word there is is homo legeos. Homo legeos, and everybody in our generation knows what the word homo means. It's two of the same. Two of the same. The, but the word logos means the word. How many of you know the word was with God, the word was God, right? In the beginning was the word. That's Jesus, the word of God, the Bible. And what it means, though, is that you and God are, are agreeing. Homo logos. You, you are saying, you know what? I thought I could do this, and I thought I could do that, and I thought, you know, because it's allowed in society, that. but you know what, Lord, your word is right. I was wrong. Your word is right. What you've done is you've made a confession. You've homo legeost. You've come alike to where the word is. And so when the Bible says if we confess our sins, what it means is we're agreeing with God over that issue. That, that, that does not mean, that does not mean just saying you're sorry. It means agreeing with God that it could potentially keep you out of heaven. It means that's how serious. Lord, I know that's a serious thing right there. I know that it hurts your heart. I know that it defames your name. I know that it, I know that it, it causes me to walk in ungodliness and I don't want to do it anymore. That's a homo legeos. That's a confession. You know what? That's what God's looking for. That's what he's looking for. He, there's, there's things that, you know, I can tell you this. When, when I was an alcoholic, I couldn't have stopped being an alcoholic unless God stopped it. I had to have help. But what God wanted was for me to make a homo legeos. God wanted me to say, Lord, you're right. This is wrong. I'm ready. And once you come to the cross like that, all the power of heaven will come down upon you. Once you agree with God over that issue, look what it says. It says, if we, if, look at what it says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does he forgive you, but he cleanses you. Can I tell you, that's where he has that stain lifter. He has a leaven remover. See, when leaven works its way in dough, you can't unleaven dough bread. You can't, you, you can't, you know, um, unspoil a bad apple. You can't do it. It's spoiled. It's, you got to throw it away. How many of you know that? You can wash it on the outside as much as you want, but if that apple is spoiled on the inside, it's spoiled. Rotten fruit is rotten fruit. You can clean it up. You can take a rotten banana that turns black. You can put the freshest coat of yellow paint on it. But guess what? Still rotten. Can I tell you, there's only one way for us to get rid of the rottenness. There's only one way, and it's not up to you. It's you coming to that cross. It's you coming to that cross saying, Lord, there's some rotten things in there, and I don't want them anymore. I don't want to be standing on the outside when you come back. I don't want to be one of those foolish virgins that, that, that had a lamp with no oil. I don't want to be left out when you come back. And, and you know, I'm not saying, you know, God's coming back this week. I'm not saying that. But he's coming back. There's all kinds of writing on the wall prophetically going on in our day and our time. But the reality is some of us may be called home before we get to dinner today. One preacher that used to preach here years ago, he preached an uh, Easter message at another church. He, he preached Easter Sunday message, and he passed away before he ate dinner that day. God called him home. We don't know. We don't know. But the reality is there's coming a day that we're all going to have to answer before God. And, and the one thing that we all need is to come to the cross and allow God to do what he needs to do in us. Amen? A little leaven leavens a whole lump.